Welcome to the Big Kickoff football podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, David Bogle, and from thebigkickoff.com, it's Neil Dobbs. On Tuesday evening, Manchester United were beaten 3-2 against RB Leipzig to knock them out of the Champions League and in turn place a little bit more pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But it was on the eve of United's biggest game of the season that grabbed most of the headlines with Paul Pogba's agent Mina Riola declaring in an extensive interview with Tuto Sport that his time with Manchester United was just about up. Dave, it's not the first time that he has declared that Pogba needs or wants to leave Manchester United over the last few seasons. It's getting a bit ridiculous now, isn't it? 100%. Um I think he had it in the holster for a while because I think he was waiting for Pogba to actually do something of significance. Where and of course, as we know, he has been waiting a while. So I think it's no shock that as soon as he scores, what's let let's face it, technically a brilliant goal on Saturday. Um, as soon as that goes in, it's kind of like don't forget our Moya or Moya, um, what's his name, his assets because that's what it really is. Is is there and wants to move and I want to move so I can make some more money off my cash cow, but. You know, as I said, I said to you on a clip uh, of what a certain Sir Alex Ferguson seems to think of him as well. So, is it this is what we need to be known? Paul Pogba stay quiet. Is this the workings of the agent, or is this the agent doing the workings of the player? And that's what really needs to be uh, answered. And the fact that Paul Pogba staying quiet, it more than likely could be the, the latter. But at this stage, he needs to do a hell of a lot more in order to get a good move to a good club where he wants to go. Or, and I'm not saying United are a good club. But like, if he really wants to go somewhere big, he needs to he needs to start putting in some more performances because if any of the big boys get him, they're filled at the moment. Neil, if you were a professional footballer and your agent was misrepresenting you, surely you would reprimand him. And Pogba hasn't done so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the the biggest issue here is that you know it's been well documented on Sky Sports. These are pros that've been in the game, have had agents, and um, that you know your agent is practically your best friend. You consult them over literally everything. Uh, some of them go on holiday with their agents. Um, so, yeah, it's not as if Pogba doesn't know what's going on. It's not as if he isn't, you know, he, he could have immediately come out and went, no, no, listen, that's not what I think, X, Y, and Z. He didn't. His silence speaks volumes. Um, and it's just typical Pogba, really. He's been doing it for years. The biggest fl- red flag was Marino uh, highlighting him and trying to put the kind of shackles on him straight off the bat. Uh, make an example out of him. Uh, he wouldn't let him be bigger than the manager, and he's dead right. Um, and it just shows, yeah, that they, you know, he, he's no remorse for what he does. He plenty of time to come out and do something, or as they were saying, sack your agent if he's misrepresenting you. So, yeah, not a lot of sympathy there. Dave, what's your thoughts on Paul Pogba as a player? Somebody who could be something else, as in could be a hell of a lot better, um, but is deeply inconsistent and struts himself struts around the pitch like he's something that he isn't at the moment or not shown enough and that's what I see him I think you know I, I didn't realise because I missed the start of the game at the weekend uh, oh no not at the weekend yeah yeah. Was it, was it at the weekend he came off the bench am I right in saying sorry lad he, or was it Tuesday no he came off on Tuesday he came on on Tuesday come on on yeah, Tuesday sorry, yeah Tuesday yeah apologies I missed the start of the game so obviously I, I'm, I'm more kind of <laughs> I've more of an opinion the second half. But I thought in the last 15 minutes of that game, I was like, geez, he must have started. And I was talking to the lads on the WhatsApp group. He said, no, he's only on a few minutes. And he's walking around like he's in quicksand. Like, he, he just looks so sluggish. And the usual standing still in the middle of the park, hiding a little bit. But then when the ball's around him, he's coming alive. I just, he just doesn't do enough for me. People can go on about Juventus. I've said it millions of times on this show and on the radio. I, I didn't see enough of him in, your, in, in Juventus. And even they can go on and on about France. Uh, he's never jumped out as me as a guy that I want in my team or I want to get in my team or he is a go-to guy if we're talking about top midfielders. He's never been that way for me. Uh, he shows the flashes, but he doesn't show the consistency that you really need to be at the very best, in my opinion. And the thing is, he, he was when over in Juventus. He's played the same amount of games for United as he has over in Juventus. He scored the same amount of goals. I think it's thirty-four yeah. and one hundred and seventy-five or something uh, for for United. Same amount as he did over in Juventus. 
and yet they see him or he he has been seen or it's been put out there that he was amazing in Turin yeah. and now you look at it more closely he hasn't he hasn't had a season where he's 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 done brilliant he hasn't stood out and drove a team on his best goal scorer uh, feat was 13 goals a couple of years ago and I think a good portion of those were penalty kicks so there's not a time where I remember Paul Pogba actually, actually I, I, I take that back straight away there was a time I think a year and a half was it two years ago or a year ago where he went about six seven games where he, he just played well near the Christmas time and that was it and this was on the back of some sort of some Rayola thing again or whatever. But yeah. he he doesn't see, he has never gone through a season where he has been consistent. Not once has he gone yeah. through a season, and that's not a good player. And that's the end of the story. And people talk about if you ha- have talent and you know he could be this and he could be that, but he isn't. That's the, I think that's the, the the biggest thing. You'll always hear. Those supporters of Pogba point to the fact that he's a World Cup winner as if that settles yeah. it all and he's world class, end of story. But Pogba was a member. Oh, yeah, he, he was a me- <laughs> this, this is where I'm going to. He was that a member of a, a World Cup winning team like Cleberson in 2002, Stefan yeah. Givarch in 98, uh, Jesus Navas for Spain in 2010, Mustafi yeah, for Germany yeah. in 2014, and none of these are world class players. You know, Pogba didn't win Jimmy a world. Jimmy Traore is a Champions League winner, Shano. Come on. But this is it. So, but Pogba didn't win the World Cup for his country like Maradona did, or Rossi did, or Zidane did in '98. He's not world class, and he's far from it. And Troy Deeney was on the radio, which was, you know, he was bigging up Pogba after his display that he put in against West Ham to push United on to a memorable three-one victory after being one 0 down at half time. But Pogba didn't play well. He did score a good goal, Dave, that you you said that he has scored and it was an excellent technique and what have you. No doubt about it. But it was the halftime introduction of Fernandes and Rashford that changed the game. So, Neil, is is Paul Pogba's alleged world-class status just media hype? Uh, Yeah, 100%. Listen, the the, the fact of the matter is, since he moved back from Juve, he's been under the microscope. Now, obviously, he moves with a massive price tag. And when he moves for a price tag like that, it's a massive, massive burden on a player. And I don't think he's ever lived up to it. And if you look at his stats, and you hit the nail on the head there, he had one season when Solskjaer came in where he played 35 games and he had 13 goals, nine assists. That was probably his little purple patch where people went, geez, he has that in his locker. I think his might have City, he might have got two goals. I remember he getting ahead of goal. And that was probably his kind of purple patch. But since, you know, before that and after that, absolutely piss poor. He played for Marino for two seasons, played 60 games and scored up 10 goals. And again, they could have been penalties again. Um, I just think, in fairness, like, like to give him a little bit of credit, I think in a good team, like France, they're a well-oiled machine and Juve, who are going for titles and comfortably the best team in Italy, I think he's a good cog in that machine. But I think in Man United, where you look at the way Fernandez came into the club last year and literally just grabbed it by the by the horns and went, I'm the man, I'm going to dictate play, I'm going to be the one creating, scoring goals, driving the team on. I've never, ever seen Pogba do that with Man United and for sure never done it with France. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's inflated price tag, inflated ego, he's a kind of a flair, you know, he's, he's the new age Instagram, that type of pin-up but he gets a lot more attention for that than he does for his football. Dave, when you look, Neil's right, isn't he there, about when you compare what who, what type of player Pogba has been for Manchester United, you have to compare him to Fernandes and what he has done since he came into the team and Pogba has never yeah. reached those heights. Oh, and, and then some in, in spades. Like with, with Fernandes, he's come in, who cares about penalties? I don't care. It's, it's, it's the rest of the performance and the vision and shooting on sight when he see, when he has it and then playing for the team he's very much come in and grabbed he's come in and said right I'm a leader this is the next step if he wants to go somewhere else who cares foreign, like foreign players that come in he's not going to be in the United forever but he's come in and said I need to make my mark and I'm going to make a mark for me and obviously for the better of United well Pogba is just he's not he can't even touch him in that sense he, he just coasts like I said I didn't realise he, did, he didn't start the game he just coasts and 
a bit like what we said last week about one or two other players. He gives you that one straight drive in the round to kind of almost keep you wanting more, but he'll never get any better than that. The one straight drive out of 14, and that's it. And you need to let it go. In my opinion, for him, you have to let it go. As I said, he's a bit like a YouTuber. He's more of a star. He's more of a celebrity than an actual true world-class footballer. Yeah, Neil, who buys Pogba? You look at PSG, yeah. you look at Real Madrid, and you look at Juventus. Surely Real Madrid aren't going to take a piece of him, not if, if, if he's the way he is. Um, I, I'd be very surprised. Anyhow, uh, Juventus, it's possible. PSG, uh, most likeable? Yeah, again, this comes down to money and he, he's moving in a time where, you know, even the rich clubs aren't spending the way they are. If you take Chelsea out of the equation this year, nobody really spent real money the kind of capabilities that they've had in previous years. I don't think Madrid would touch him with a barge pole. Uh, the only t- reason why you link him with Madrid is because Zidane is there. Um, well, Zidane surely has an eye for a player that's going to improve his team and I just could not see that that move happening. Paris Saint-Germain are bet with money I, I think that it could be his only destination, in my opinion. Just the fact that he's a big-name player, he'll sell shirts, you put him in behind Mbappe and Neymar, and you might get something out of him, or they might think they get something out of him. And in the French League, he, he'd be a massive star over there anyway. Uh, it's not as strong. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I don't know, Juve said they might take him back. But what money would you reasonably buy Paul Pogba now? Like, I mean, what would you actually value him in the market? If someone said to you, but on the other hand, look at Van de Beek. I just don't see. Oh, look, I, I couldn't see Juve taking him. Whether they, you know, you took a massive loss just to get him off the books. But their hand has been forced massively now, and that's not in a good situation for United. Well, in the same group, PSG and Istanbul played on the very same night and got called off within moments of starting. I suppose within fourteen minutes of the game starting. Um, alleged racist comments thrown the way of uh, an assistant manager. Dave, what do what do we make of this? I suppose the two teams in support of each other. What do you make of the whole thing? Yeah, like the the referees look. The referee looked like he froze a little bit when he came when he when he came over to the sideline because basically what happened. Pierre Weibo was sent off, and I'm not actually 100 percent sure why. I presume it was. I'm, I'm not actually. I don't know what. And then the, re- the referee came over to see what was going on. And according to the fourth official, he referred to them as kind of like the black one there or the black pl- or man or whoever it was. I don't know exactly, but he used it in Romanian, the, the word for black or something like that. And yeah. then all of a sudden, all hell kicked off. And why did you call him this? Why did you call him that? Why you wouldn't say that the way? And we, we all seen the rest of the, the pictures. But... Um, then the players came over and Kylian Mbappe was one of the main ones on the PSG side of things and wanted to say, yeah, let's let's walk off the pitch with them or let's let's go hand in hand with them. And they all went off and then there was potential uh, that they were coming back at nine o'clock. They had a new, a new fourth official. The other guy was going back into the VAR. They said, no, we don't want them involved in the game in any way, shape or form. And then they had another official who was going to get into the truck and then it looked like it was all going to go ahead. And then it was a case of, right, no, don't get a brand new set and we'll start again the next day. Um, and as I said in one of the reasons why it should be brought up, I think the biggest, regardless, without knowing the full fact, and um, two things I thought of after the game from it is all of these refs and fourth officials are all mic'd up. So why can't they maybe start recording? Them? So that if something like this was ever to happen again, you, you hold on to the tapes for a day or two, you're given 24 hours to kind of go, listen, I think the referee used and abusive language towards me or uh, derogatory language towards me and they could go back to the tapes and say right we know what he said and now let's look at it and, 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 and punish or, 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 or strike it off according and then number two is uh, referees and officials are seriously well prepared for this they know exactly who they're up who, who, they're, who, who they're opposition or not opposition who the teams are who the players are who the managers are I don't know the exact protocol before a game but no doubt I'm sure they need the captains to go through various bits and pieces maybe even the, the main men, but he should be very much well aware who the assistant manager is, and that should have been the ultimate thing. He just pointed over, even if it is something as simple as trying to describe him as merely that man over there, the black man over there, that was, in my opinion, ultimately disrespectful. He should have said the assistant manager used X, Y, and Z language to me and I've sent him to the stand or whatever Pierre Weibel did. He should very much know who's on that sideline because at the end of the day, the fourth, uh, fourth official gets a barrage 
of the management and the rest of the staff for the whole 90 minutes questioning every bloody uh, every bloody uh, play that goes on from the start to the end. So he, they should be well aware of who's on that sideline. And that, to me, is what's kind of being ignored, is that he should have very clearly known who he was, and therefore this problem shouldn't have come up in the first place. Yeah. Or did he know? Or, or worse, or yes, exactly, as you said, or, did, or he did, and he has used language that is uh, inflammatory. So yeah. it's, 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 yeah, it, and that's it. Like, that's the entertainment. Of the, that's what we need to entertain as well. He, he very much could have been. And if this is a UEFA official, it really does smack everything in the face. All this, no to racism and the, the taking, it really does slap it all in the face and in a horrendous PR disaster. And if da- that's what it tends to, if that's and what Dave, it out to be. UEFA's record, Dave, is pathetic when mm-hmm. it comes to, uh, you know, dealing with racism. I mean, the last big one, yeah. I think, was, wasn't it, the Bulgaria and, and England one? And, yeah. you know, there was all sorts of stuff going on in that game. And, you know, very little outcome. Yeah, fines are minimal and playing behind closed doors for a game or two, but then all goes back to normal. You know, and even still, I don't know the official statement, but it was still very, very, very much frowned upon that the players walked off the pitch because it's one thing that UEFA and even FIFA certainly don't want to happen. So um, them being told what to do for a change is not going to go down well in some way, shape or form. So regardless of what comes out of this, uh, it's, it's not a good it's not a good time for UEFA and they're not going to come out in, in a good light because, as I said, he dropped the ball regardless whether his terminology was innocent or not because he, he should very clearly know who Pierre Weibo is Neil the players are all being praised for not standing for it Not, I believe that they want as Dave said they wanted to switch the fourth official to the VAR and the VAR out to, as a fourth official they weren't entertaining that so there's been a lot of praise for the players for standing up for you know their assistant manager coach you know the the, 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 the person who's there getting uh, racially abused but isn't it a bit easy in this scenario for the players to do it because it's, it's a fourth official and when you see the likes of we'll just say you know uh, the Suarez thing or it will go the Cavani thing or you'll go out in Bulgaria where there's all sorts of stuff it's very easy to go against the fourth official but you very rarely see players going against their own teammates when they say something and they always seem to be backing them up so do players really need to take the finger out and, and, and stamp it down within their own clubs even? Yeah, I, I think there's an argument for that. I think there's a there's a dual edge here and I think you're hitting the nail on the head the fact that the fourth official, it's just a pity that the first team to walk off the field was based on a fourth official and not based on something like crowds, you know, crowds for chance or uh, some sort of verbal abuse from the sideline, or as you say, the individual players themselves, their teammates are in opposition, that it did, it wasn't highlighted in that way. This to me feels a little premature insofar as I would have liked to see a big display when something happens like that. Definitely with a crowd chant. There was a couple of scenes last year, I think, um, with Chelsea and Spurs, for example, where things were thrown on the pitch and stuff. And that would have been a brilliant moment for something like that to really open it up and go, this is the biggest impact we can have as players because the biggest impact they can have is to do it in a moment that it means something the most at that time uh, and maybe this wasn't uh, it, look, it was the right time for them at the time they had to do what they felt was right but it would have been you know more helpful to the movement if they had a bigger opportunity and took a better opportunity I guess to do it which obviously can't be helped now um, but that said I think the players can only do so much I think they can only, you know, they can fall with their feet, as they say, to walk away. But this really has to come from higher up. It has to come from the people that are running the organisations, you know, proper bands, proper surveillance, identifying people that are doing it all across the board, from the chant to the individual, to the collective, to everything. And I think it, it has to be a higher stance before we can say the players are a bit more responsible. They definitely have their part but I think it has to come from higher up to, uh, to really stamp it out. Yeah. Um, Neil, let's stay with you. Manchester United, do they keep faith in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or is it the right time to think about a change? Uh, I think they will be thinking of a change, but just the higher up people will not be thinking of a change. I mean, as a fan, right, 
and as a supporter. And uh, now, look, we watched Liverpool get mismanaged for years, and with a couple of managers come in, say Hodgson come in, and you just knew he was a safe pair of hands that you weren't going to go anywhere with him. Uh, and some managers get appointed to clubs, especially the top kind of four, top six clubs, and a manager comes in, and you're kind of gone from an opposition point of view. And I, I, if I put my Liverpool hat on, I, and I don't mean to be, oh, I'm delightedly staying, but I don't feel threatened whatsoever having Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the manager of Man United at the moment. Um, and I think for the first time in a while, rather than just saying they were unlucky or they were sloppy or whatever, he made massive mistakes in that game the other night. He was completely found out. Um, and I think it was highlighted with the substitutions that he made. It, it was just bizarre at times. When you look on the bench and you've got like even Mata, Egalo, James, he obviously doesn't have a trust in them. He went and he put on Williams and Twanzebe. It, it just seemed madness when you're chasing. You need three goals or you need two goals say, by the time you made one or two of the subs. Um, to me, Solskjaer isn't high. It's not that he's not high profile enough. I just don't think he's the track record. And obviously then there's wider things in the club where he doesn't have the boards back in, in the way that they don't build a team going forward. They don't have an, ident- an identity of who they are. They don't seem to target the right player. That's highlighted with the Van de Beek signing. Um, yeah, for me, I just don't understand. I understood the nostalgia when they brought him in originally. Caretaker boss, move him on and bring in someone with a bit more quality. And I don't understand why he's still there two years on. The only thing I would say is that his, his points ratio is actually really high. And since he's come in, he has one of the, the, the highest points amounts uh, over the last couple of years. The problem is, as I said last time, I don't think he's learning. Again, he changed his formation, inconsistent again with his formation. Three at the back, two wing backs. Wambasaka, brilliant defender, terrible going forward. It was like a fish out of water, didn't know what he was doing there. Two up front, it just didn't work at all. He was all over the shop. And as you said, his substitutions, three left backs on, on the pitch, but three chasing the game, three of his substitutions were defenders being brought on. I'm, I'm getting baffled now. And I, again, I said, I really hope he turns it around. But I'm, uh, more and more every week, I'm, I'm failing to see how, how that's going to happen. Anyhow, they are out there. Right. Yeah. Can I have you? Can I ask you a very quick question about Aaron Wan-Bissaka? Because you said he's a great defender there. Like he wasn't the main instigator for all three, but he played a part in all three of them holes being conceded, and that's the most I've seen him in a while. And then I seen him against Brighton, and Solly March and Trossard just had a free run of the of the right wing. Is he that good of a defender? I don't watch him enough, but. I any time I've seen it, I've been distinctly underwhelmed, and I'm just wondering: is it just because I don't watch him enough, or is he is he a decent defender? Yeah, with with the with the game the other night, he was all, he didn't know where to be. His his position was all over the shop. Mm-hmm. He, he he doesn't play wing back. So he, okay. while you're right, he is a fault for you know I suppose positioning and stuff. Generally, one v one, he's brilliant. Absolutely, hundred percent. Seeing him ton of times now to know that 100% defensive uh, blocks tackles excellent mm. but yeah no he, 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 to be playing on the the right hand side of midfield basically is what, what he was playing yeah. um, he was all over the shop and discombobulated we might say uh, yeah, all yeah, yeah. just just yeah no I, I would definitely uh, blame uh, Solskjaer for putting him in that position uh, yeah. You said against Brighton. Uh, I can't remember the Brighton game. Was that early in the season? Yeah, it was early in the season. But it just they, they were just getting so much joy there, and with Trossard and, and Martin should have got more, should have got more out of the game. But I, it, and it wasn't, and I wasn't like singling them out. But I just any time I've seen him, I haven't noticed him, and and I'm like obviously we probably noticed more in the attacking side of things. So it's I trust you, but it's one of them things where. Everyone says that one tagline about every player, like Pogba. Oh, he's great in Italy. It's like uh, Wan Bissaka. It's the first thing, pretty much ninety-five percent of fans would say. Oh, very good defensive fullback. And I'm like, okay, but is he though? Yeah, and, and that's the only reason why I'm asking. Yeah, I would, you, say, I, I would say. I would say nine times out of ten, he is, you know, a, yeah. a, a seven, eight out of ten at least. 
Um, there, obviously, there is those six and fives. So, but no, I'd say more often than not that he's he, he is solid at defence. No, That's not saying that in 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 his attacking ability, he hasn't learned how to cross a ball. He hasn't learned how to get by someone and create a, a bit of space. He does it once every thirty times, maybe you know. But more often than not, he gets yeah. the ball and he passes it backwards. So there's a lot to work on going forward. So yeah, now. Uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be confident on that one, uh, Dave. Uh, again, if you look at the whole, Luke Shaw comes back into the team and he's playing in the back three. I don't even rate Luke Shaw. I don't think he's that good. I think Williams is better. Tellez is better. I'm not sure why Luke Shaw was placed back in in such a, a big game. Um, but listen, that's you know you live and die by the sword. The manager has to pick his team. And in fairness, he's had loads of good results. And I said. Last time we were on, they beat West Ham, they'd lose against Leipzig and they'll probably beat City now at the weekend. And just he just seems every two weeks, he just does something to, to hang on to that job or, you know, to give people the, the, the faith that, oh, yeah, no, we are making progression. He wins that game in hand, they're two points off the top. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the strange yeah. thing. They won their last four in the league. Yeah, no. And, it's and, just and such a weird time. It is, and it's Very just good but, away from home as well. Yeah, you know, and and that's it. And it, I suppose it, you'll know a lot now after the game of the weekend. City have Aguero back; they have a centre forward, so that's going to be huge for them. So it, it'll be an interesting game. I, I probably can see a draw in that game, but anyhow, n- nonetheless, they're out of Champions League and they're into Europa football. Um, Real Madrid scraped through, beating Munch Glad back, and. Uh, Zidane's job was on the line over the last couple of weeks. They were miles off in La Liga. They were looking like they mightn't even qualify for the Europa League and the Champions League. But he's got results. Uh, I think they beat Sevilla there the other week and they've got a, a couple of results in a row and only six points off top. I think Atletico are top in, in La Liga and they've qualified now. So there's a, a little bit of pressure uh, gone off. Uh, the Real Madrid, former Real Madrid President Calderon, isn't it? He was yep, he he was on the radio this morning, and basically what he said is with Real Madrid, he was very close to probably being gone. I suppose uh, there was a lot of talk about, it and he says it's Real Madrid don't win for to be happy to be to get pleasure out of it. Real Madrid win because it's insisted of them. So. It basically, you know, that's the way it is over there. You, you have to win. And it's a bit like up in Scotland and with Celtic. Neil Lennon's getting away with Blue Murder up there because it's exactly the same up there. Second place is nothing up in Scotland. So, and we might come back around to that. But anyway, Real Madrid have qualified with Mönchengladbach second. Dave, who do you see in the Champions League? Who do you think is going to win it and who's a dark horse? Right, win it, I suppose we have to take the safe option, uh, if I can give one or two. The safe option will be Bayern Munich, you know, uh, 16 out of 18. Um, obviously, one of them was a draw against Atletico Madrid, not nothing to be ashamed of. Um, solid, got the job done, you know they're going to bring it. Um, their course, and looking at all the second place teams, just to quickly kind of see if there's somebody. This year, I'm not saying it's a boring year, but I just think with it being back to normal and being the two legs, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, depending on the draw, you will see the likes of your Bayerns, maybe Liverpool, Cities, and then a another in the semis, depending on the draws. If they avoid each other, I can see them all kind of going the distance this year. Because RB Leipzig, as good as they were in the last one, I, I just don't think they have it. Look, they got hammered by United 5-0 away. And even the other night, they looked incredibly nervous once you know you got the first goal, let alone the second goal. So I just don't I think that was not a one season wonder, but I just can't see them getting to the getting the same joy as they did last year. Barca and Juve I'd have no fears of at all. Paris Saint Germain, you just don't know what they bring. You, you know, yes they can be devastating, but you just don't know. Borussia and Lazio, same thing, wouldn't be overly Chelsea and Sevilla, yes, if Chelsea keep the momentum going, yes, they could be potentially a dark horse because we don't look at them in Europe. Liverpool, Atalanta, Atalanta, yeah, a bit similar to last year, but a bit like Derby Leipzig. Can't see them going that distance again. I think the one game was the big one. So obviously Liverpool there. City, Porto, Porto, 
can easily get hammered. Liverpool have done it a few times on them. I wouldn't either. Motion Gladbach, not, like there's not that many that would fear me. But obviously there is one team who is in second place. And I said it last year and unfortunately I was kind of proven right. And I would fear them again to be Atletico Madrid. I, they're just an awkward team who very much play in a style that would re, that really do damage to us as me as a Liverpool fan. So even though they're not really a dark horse, they might break away from the obvious choices of a, a Bayern, maybe City, Liverpool. What do you reckon there? Yeah, I can't really argue with that. Bayern are the standout. Um, if I was going to go for a dark, dark horse, I think Chelsea, even though they've no pedigree in it in the last few years, um, I think they could just be a good cup team. I think they're going to be very strong. I think they have a very, very strong squad. They're after improving their defence a lot. But if you look at their midfield, they've really got a lot of talent in there. Um, and I think they're going to take a bit of beating. It just depends whether Lampard kind of has the news to get them through. Some of the big toys, like the likes of like, if you look at Liverpool Atletico last year, that was an absolute battle of titans in the game. Um, could Lampard bring Chelsea through against an Atletico or against, you know, one of the higher power teams, even a U of A, a Paris Saint-Germain, I think it'll be a big step up for them. But, you know, I, I think they could do well. Uh, outside of that, I don't really fancy anyone else, to be honest with you. I think they all have their faults. City, I would say, you know, sooner or later they're going to push on to a final. I think they're very close. It just depends what their form is after Christmas. They're getting it together the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, they could be dangerous. And on their day, I did, like they taught Madrid a lesson last year and then they kind of bizarrely went out. So uh, I think, yeah, maybe Bayern and then maybe put City in a, in a kind of a close second and then Chelsea is a dark horse but just because they've got a lot of talent this year. Dave, World Cup draw made uh, only a matter of days yeah. ago. What did you make of it? It's always a great occasion, isn't it? You just can't wait to see the World Cup draw <laughs> and the World Cup. And see some ex-player struggle to open the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I didn't see it live, I, I'll be brutally honest, because I couldn't get me get away from that second work phone. But I eventually jumped in. Look, overall happy. At the end of the day, number one seed is always going to be a tough, tough, tough opponent, no matter who they are. And as regards second seed, there's a couple there that you wouldn't have minded. And in my opinion, Serbia was one of them. And then Luxembourg, Azerbaijan. You know, Luxembourg are getting more and more awkward. But if we, if we're going to be honest, we 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 we'd want to we want to get the six points off them. And as a Bojan, yeah, a bit of a tough travel, but you know, uh, the pedigree's not. I yeah, you'd have to take it. Like at the end of the day, it's it's only what eight matches, not a lot of room for error. So um, it's it's going to be a tough task because of the fact that literally our first game is one of our biggest ones, and that's Serbia away because that's who we're in theory going to be competing against to try and let's be honest, more than likely go for that second spot. But, uh, yeah, and then obviously Portugal, a bit of star quality and getting Cristiano Ronaldo with a bit of luck with some fans into the Aviva. So, just from the get-go, I'd be relatively happy that we are are bang in the middle of the race to at least get that playoff spot, obviously behind Portugal, as I think we'd all agree. Yeah, and just for anyone who isn't from Ireland, we're talking about the Republic of Ireland. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, there's some other groups as well. Apparently. Also, Neil, we have uh, Qatar. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, but, you're not going to add that none to that, Neil. That's fine. <laughs> no, really, no. I'm not. You know what it is? I'm not overly awed by the World Cup draw, man. It just feels like a million miles away at the minute. So, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Like summer football coming to fucking in the desert. I don't know. Ah, that's brilliant. Uh, all right, Neil, you just chill out there, Dave. Uh, <laughs> can can Ireland? I mean, we played Serbia before in in the, in the qualifiers a couple of years ago. We, I suppose, it was a different team. I suppose a different manager. But I suppose can we go to Serbia like we did? before we got a draw two all out there played them off the park for 15 minutes went 1-0 up yeah, sat back for you know most of the an hour and then went 2-1 down and then got our finger out dominated for the last 15 minutes and, and got an equaliser can we go there and, and play the football that we're playing and actually sort of pin these teams back that's, that's 
the plan, I'd imagine, and that's what Kenny wants. And um, the style of play he's trying to play is the style of play I want Ireland to play, no matter who's the manager. Because when you look at it, right, um, most of our games, and say, for example, put Qatar into this now, so there's six teams in the group, you're playing 10 matches. So eight of those 10 matches, realistically, you're playing teams on your level, a little bit higher, a little bit below, but on your level and below. Mm. So therefore, you want to play positive, remotely attacking, like, I'm not saying always attacking, but positive, trying to win the game, football. And then the way Trap and, say, O'Neill constantly played, where let's not lose is the most important thing, you play that more so, or a bit of a hybrid of the two, against the top opposition, which is only two matches. And then whatever we, any points we get out of there, in my opinion, is a bonus. So this is why I'm looking forward to this group. We technically, let's pretend Qatar are in it for a minute. You're four teams you should be competing with and should be looking to win and be positive. And that's why it'd be very interesting to see how it goes under Kenny's way. It's a bit unfortunate that our next game is very much the first game uh, uh, in the qualifier and there's not another game to maybe get the settled first team in and how he wants to go. But the way he wants to play has me looking forward to it a bit more because you watched the traps on O'Neill's and even a little bit of McCarthy's, a bit more negative, kind of make sure we don't lose kind of attitude. We would slip up at least once or twice against Luxembourg, Azerbaijan and Serbia because we don't play with a bit more positivity. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And yes, there's no reason why even against Serbia because, as I said, there's no room for error. Eight matches. I'm not saying we're writing off two of them. Any points against Portugal is brilliant. And Portugal have it in them to, to have that one little hiccup in every in every qualifying. They always have that one little surprise result. So it'd be great if it was against us. But we have to hit the ground running. So we can't afford to just go there and just play ultra safe. Don't lose at all costs. So yes, I'm expecting uh, something that what we've seen a bit like in our play, in our qualif- uh, in our preliminary or not preliminary bloody playoff match. Where yes, we're we're in the mix and we're we're we're, we're more than a match for Serbia. And if if look, if, if it goes our way, it'd be a great, it'd be great to get a win. But as long as we, if, if we can get a point out of a super, because then Luxembourg at home, it's a great. If we can a minimum have four, preferably six, um, uh, points at the start, it really sets us up because there is very little margin for error with only eight matches. Yeah, Neil, Group C: Italy, Switzerland, Northern Ireland, Bulgaria, and Lithuania. Northern Ireland up against it there, I think. Yeah, I think it's the worst group than what we got for sure. Anyway, um, Switzerland, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes they look red hot in the qualifiers. Um, they've upset a good few teams. I think they're very good at home. Um, Northern Ireland going to be up against it. I mean, you know, they're going to be, at least we, well, we're saying Serbia, it's going to be us in Serbia. Let's hope it is at the end of the day. But uh, at least we only had Portugal as a kind of a big, big hitter. But um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it's a difficult task when you've got two way higher seeded teams that are playing better football, better players. Um, like Northern Ireland are a bit like us. They seem to struggle to get goals. They were relying on extra time, you know, and the and penalties and all that to get through to even the knockout stages of the last campaign. So, um, yeah, tough one to call, but you know, you never know what can happen. Bit of home form for them to do well and uh, might give them a kick start. Group E is Belgium, Wales, Czech Republic, Belarus and Estonia. Dave, Wales, can can they be confident on that one? As in to top the group? Eh, to qualify. Uh, well, qualifying is going to be very hard if you don't top the group because there's only three spaces and it's going to be the same semi-final, final format in the playoffs and only three of the, three of the, how many, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, three of the ten runners up are actually going to get through. So, You'd fancy them for second at the moment because obviously Belgium, the team that they are expecting to top the group, Czech Republic are, are a bit of a shadow of, of some of their past glories, Belarus and Estonia. You've got to fancy yourself again to, to at least get second in that group, providing they keep the form that, that they have. And if they can get a tune out of Bale because he's gone a bit quiet with Wales, obviously there's been injuries and stuff as well. But I, if, if I was them, I'd be, I'd be pleasantly confident of a minimum of, of second place there. Yeah, what about Neil Group I? England have Poland, Hungary, Albania, Andorra and San Marino. Bottom two shouldn't cause any problems. Albania, you never know, but Hungary and Poland, could could there be an upset? Could Poland sneak uh, a top place here? 
No, I think I think England are going to qualify. Do you know what it is? England always seems to comfortably deal with the group yeah. stages, and uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, Poland could upset them, but uh, they seem to be very, very polished in group stages. England, like, I can't remember the last time where they struggled. You know, and look at the quality that they have at the moment. I think Southgate has a clear idea what way he wants to play. I think he showed that in the last few games. Um, I think it's a big addition to them playing them kind of Nations League games that he's getting to tie around with his team a bit more. Um, but the talent he has at his disposal at the minute is literally second to none. Um, they've even got creative midfielders now nowadays where they never had them since the likes of Scholes and them retired. Um, I fancy England strongly in that. But yeah, I think Paul would push them, but England all the way for me. Group F, see Scotland who are in with Denmark, Austria, Israel, Faroe Islands and Moldova. Again, Dave, can Scotland uh, make it out of this group? Um, they're on the up. Um, and hopefully if they have a half-decent Euros, it could be a nice little... Well, actually, that's going to be starting this qualification before the Euros. I was going to say it could be a catalyst to push them on. But Denmark are one of them sides that, yes, it annoys me that they're, they're top of it. They've never intimidated me. I know we we don't necessarily batter them either, but I wouldn't be scared of them either. Austria is something similar. Like it's one of them groups where the teams that are above them aren't light years away from them. They've got a fancy that they can minimum split the two of them. Now Israel would probably have a similar feeling as well. They are an awkward side, but you know compared to some of the other draws they could have got, I would be a little bit more calm. It's going to be a tough act, but. They, they definitely, with the fact that they're on the rise and, 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 and qualifying, there's no reason why they can't potentially at the very least split between Denmark and Austria. Yeah. Premier League is, well, this time of the year, even though it's the winter, it starts to hot up now with unbelievable amount of games that are to be played over this uh, Christmas period. Dave, who can who can who can make a move over the Christmas period and, and who are you expecting to, to step up to the plate? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting now. Europe is done. Obviously, I know first week or two in January there's the FA Cup, but it definitely feels like, right, business, business is now, now it's time. We've jockeyed for position now to try and get in. Now it's ready to get into the stride. You would expect your Liverpools and cities to try and start get going previous form. If they were to somehow get into some of that previous form and maybe go on a five or six, seven games on the trot, you could see them getting a little bit of a gap and then maybe deflating some of these teams. But the way the league has gone this year, you just never know. As I said, look at United. like Them and Man City, like if they win their games in hand, all of a sudden everyone's within two or three points. You'd expect somebody to keep... Like City with Aguero coming back, that could be a very interesting one. They put in a strong performance against United and not just beat them, but maybe beat them by a couple of goals and, 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 and be a very City-like performance of slick getting in behind very the ticky tacky stuff like some like City very much they score early all bets are off in my opinion against any team that's when they seem to they click into gear the longer it goes they do stiffen up and they can tend to fluff their lines and I think that's when they drop points so if they start strong against United I'd be very fearful so I'd expect them to get going especially with the fact that Liverpool obviously as a fan you want to see them get going um, but with the injuries and a few of the it's still a bit disjointed although I always try and play. I always try and play it down because it's just what you're used to over the years. But Liverpool won the league last year. They've been been in great form for a couple of seasons, and even this year with one or two of the problems that they've had, they're still bloody joint top. If I was other teams, I'd be a bit fearful of that because what if Liverpool get going? So that's why the next few weeks is very very juicy. Because if Liverpool click, you'd be afraid of them. If City click, you'd be afraid of them. But then again, if they show this form that they're all shown at the moment, it could be another. It could be a proper title race where there's a couple of other people in the party as well because if you look at Spurs last five games they've won four drawn one Chelsea have won four drawn one they're in great form and if they can keep that going and hang on to the coattails of the two guys if they get going we could have a great second half of the year and this year is going to be very topsy-turvy because come February obviously Europe is back as well so it's very very hard to stick your neck out and say yes it's going to be them but you just fancy City maybe to click a little bit now that Aguero's coming back Neil, Liverpool, everyone has three games now in the next week. Liverpool have Fulham, Palace and Spurs. What are you expecting from them? Um, it's easy to say you expect two wins and then God knows against Spurs. Uh, I think Spurs is obviously the highlight game and they're going to have to be 
absolutely on their game. If you look at what sports are after doing to City, look at what sports are after doing to Arsenal. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think for Liverpool's perspective that the Fulham game should be fine. I think um, I think Liverpool are still playing well. It's a funny thing we went into last week's game against Wolves and all the other teams around them won and you were looking at going, geez, you could be in whatever fort or something like that if you lose. And everyone was expecting Wolves to go to Anfield and really, really push Liverpool. And my God, Liverpool literally blew them off the park, which was massive relief. And yeah, why did we not expect that? So I think they're still excellent in the middle to forward. We've question marks over the back line, but the back line are playing very well at the moment. They're obviously drilling them week in, week out. Um, but yeah, no, the Spurs game is pivotal more because the Mourinho way of doing well and progressing in the league is not to lose against the top four, top six, and then beat everybody else. And they're just going to sit back against Liverpool and play the way they were in the last two games, most likely the City game. Um, I have a good quote for you, someone uh, seen online, Shannon, he said, uh, Spurs are just Burnley with Kane and Son up front. <laughs> <laughs> Happy play. I thought it was brilliant, right? I like that. And you know what? There's an element of truth about it because they're playing a back <laughs> five and then on front of the back five they've Heiberg and uh, Sissoko and they're playing in a kind of a not a wide left, wide right but an inside left, inside right and then they have Kane sitting in front of them who's fouling everybody left and right and breaking people up there jumping over the back of them and then Son breaking like a lunatic um, well their asset test is going to be when one of them is not in the side and as you said three games coming very very fast it'll be interesting how Marino in the cell because I think Liverpool can rotate their front three now and they can't rotate the defenders so much but they can rotate the front three they can rotate their midfield once they keep them fit and Keita's back in but can Spurs rotate Son and Kane and that for me would be interesting what Marino does in the previous two games to set himself up for that Liverpool game yeah, that's going to be uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, it'll be a great game on Wednesday night. Manchester United have City, Sheffield United, Leeds, and Wolves, and they're not easy games. So that it'll be interesting to see how he gets on there. And uh, it probably, again probably beat everyone bar Sheffield United. It's just the way they rock. Arsenal, Dave, where, where do you put Arsenal? What are Arsenal now? They're not a good team now, are they? No, and 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 they're in a worse position probably in the league than when he bloody started as well. Like it's just we were talking at the start of the season, and certainly I was going, I'm I'm starting to fear Arsenal again for a change. They're starting to show something, a bit of metal, and now it's just completely gone full circle. Aubameyang can't even take it, hardly get a shot in on goal, let alone score. And Pepe is completely gone off the face of the earth. He shows up at the Europa League on a Thursday night. Um, Lacazette non-existent uh, just very surprising what's going on there and Arteta it's, it's, it's almost a little bit parallel and probably worse um, than say a Solskjaer uh, something similar ex-player kind of coming in a bit wet behind the ears and doesn't seem to have the answers at the moment um, and to turn it around and, and you can see he's, he's keeping a very calm ex- ex- exterior, but you can see it's starting to crack a little bit and it's bothering him when he's on interviews and stuff like that. So you look at them in the league table. They're literally 15th and their league form is they've lost uh, in the last five games. They've won and then dro- uh, lost three and drew one. Um, and they're struggling. Uh, six, uh, seven points off relegation. Most importantly, eight points off the Champions League already. Six defeats in 11. Like it's, it's not good reading. Really not good reading. Only scored 10 goals. Um, in 11, you know, they've only conceded 14. They're still a bit miserly in defence, but that's probably potentially their only saving grace. But it's, it's once again, you kind of go, where do Arsenal go? Like, where do they go? What do they do? And if somebody says they need to get somebody with a bit of bite midfield, I swear to God, I'm going to punch them. Because they, like, they, they need everything else. They need a bit of everything. They need everything across the board. Arteta should be in trouble, in my opinion. Like, it's really very strange how, 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 how they've fallen so quick from a bit of a cup run and and then obviously winning the, 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 the Community Shield. And when you, again, this is, Ray Parler was on the radio there the other day mm. and he was calling for Meza Ouzel to be brought into the team. We need creative players, Meza Ouzel's there. Uh, what is wrong with people that they can't realise 
that they have like goldfish brains that they can't remember that this player was like Paul Pogba who was ghosting around the pitch not interest on the same money as well I don't know if that's anything got to do with that but ghosting around doing nothing and the reason why they finger you know pointed the finger at why they weren't doing it was because of the likes of him not working for the team and, and Arteta's come in every manager who's been in has left him out of the team and yet an ex-player like Ray Parler who was the complete opposite to him who worked his arse off on the pitch is it just desperation now? Uh, a mixture I'd say it's a mixture of desperation but I think sometimes and especially we're in this game ourselves a little bit here but I think sometimes they, they try and I'll say something a little different and I'll try and say something to be clever and Ray Parler probably genuinely thinks he's trying to be clever by saying that but deep down we all know that that's not the case. It's like he's rotting away for a reason and he should stay that way at, at, at Arsenal in my opinion. Like If he was to come in and start playing well it'll be for no other reason than to spite Arteta. It won't be for or to make sure he gets another ticket to ride somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Basically, and get another meal ticket somewhere else. It won't be for anyone's benefit. And deep down, it will just say, I'd almost love it to happen, just to show everything that's wrong with so many footballers nowadays in the game. Um, but then again, he's, he's staying very quiet, so he's probably quite happy uh, counting his money. But yeah, I think with Ray Parler, it's he's trying to sound clever when it, it's not worked. Neil Southampton, fifth place, 20 points, only four points off the top. They've got Sheffield United this week. I know that I need to have City during the, the midweek games. But there's a couple of games after that. I think, yeah, City after that then. But they've got a couple of games after that where you think, well, Fulham away. These are the type of games they could get, gather up points. Can you see them sticking around or are, are they going to drift back into mid-table mediocrity? You know what? I was looking at them. I, I actually love watching Southampton play at the moment because they're they're playing with a kind of a freedom. Uh, they remind me of Sheffield United last year when you know when they picked up so many points early on, and after that they just kind of played fearless football where it didn't really matter. You know, it's like kind of a shot to nothing type of scenario. And um, I think they've uh, their manager is 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 deadly. I think the way he's pulled them back from that height and that they took off Leicester many moons ago now. Um, and the way he has them playing football, attacking, like they are a very, very high press, high line, all out attack team. They get undone every now and then. I know Spurs did a number on them. But against the likes of your Fulhams and your Brightons and that, I think they're more than a match for them. And they've got that many points now where they're, they're practically safe already, barring a complete collapse. Um, I think, yeah, against the, 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 the bigger teams, they, you know, they might be turning over Chelsea's and Spurs. But. I think against the, the kind of lesser teams, I think they'll beat most of them. Um, they've set themselves up. I don't see why they shouldn't. They've got goal options. I think if they can keep Danny Ings fit, I know he missed a game or two there for injury. They keep him fit, that gives him a massive, massive plus because the form he's in is actually unbelievable that he's kept it going this long now. Um, but yeah, I like the look of them. I, I like the way they attack. Ward-Prowse is excellent. Set pieces, they're good defensively. Um, yeah, I, I think they can be there, thereabouts. Now, I'm not saying they'll break into the top four, but if they're sixth to eighth place, that'll be a brilliant season for them. Yep. We're not going to go through every team. We've got a lot of games now between now and the next time we do the football podcast. So uh, a lot of things are going to cha- change and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of topics, uh, whether it's, we won't be talking about Pogba again. Uh, we can't, we just couldn't. But uh, I'm sure VAR <laughs> or some nonsense will pop its head over the next couple of days. Neil, David, thank you.